Well, good morning, Southview. How are we? All right. So glad to have you with us here today, worshiping with us either live or online. Thank you for being here. Uh, if you're new with us, welcome. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview. It's so good to have you with us here today. A couple of quick announcements I want to throw you away before we get started. First, if you are a guest, again, welcome. Uh, we'd love to connect with you. The best way you can do that is to grab your cell phone. And text the word CONNECT to the number on the screen, 910-424-1298. Just text CONNECT there. You'll get a link sent to you. Click on that, fill out a couple of questions, and then hit SUBMIT. We would love to know that you are here so we can pray for you. We would greatly appreciate that. Also, things are a little different with COVID. We're not passing the offering plates. We have some buckets on the sides. So as you leave, you can leave your offering there. Or you can do it online. Go to southviewbc.com. And go through the process of submitting that online. Either way, you're welcome to do that uh, as you continue giving. And thank you so much for your giving. The year is finishing out fantastic because of your faithfulness and God's faithfulness. We just thank you so much for that. So please continue. A couple more quick announcements. We're going to jump into the important stuff. That's worshiping Jesus. But next Sunday, 
At 4 o'clock, we're going to have our yearly business meeting. This is to approve our budget and ministry leaders for 2021. You can pick up a copy of that packet on the welcome desk in the back. That's going to be next Sunday at 4 o'clock in the Family Life Center. Uh, we would encourage for you to be there for that. Also, uh, you notice we have the Operation Christmas Child Christmas boxes. If you have some of those, bring those in. We're going to go to the facility in Charlotte on November 24th to help with the processing of those packages. If you'd like to be a part of that, you can still sign up. Just text the word SHOEBOX to the number on the screen. That's going to get you signed up. You've got to be at least 13. But if you're 13 or older, you can bring the kids and uh, sign up for that. SHOEBOX, so you can be a part of that trip on November 24th. Also, speaking of Christmas, it is Christmas season. It is. You Thanksgiving people, sit down, all right? 2020, we need Christmas, okay? We need Christmas. So we're going to start decorating this place December 4th. If you'd like to be a part of that and decorating, uh, you can. You can be a part of that group. Just text the word decorate. That'll get you set up for that. Uh, come, hang out. Uh, we'll provide some pizza for you and just get uh, the sanctuary in our area set up and decorated for Christmas. That's going to be on December 4th. Also, on December 12th, our Ladies of Grace, our, our women's ministry, is having their Christmas brunch. Uh, that's going to be on December uh, uh, 12th. Tickets are going on sale today and going to go continue on sale for a few weeks. You can go out this door right here to buy some tickets. It's uh, $15 per ticket. Uh, you can go and uh, sign up for that, buy a ticket. It's a great, great, great uh, um, uh, time together. They're going to have just tons of ladies there. Buy a ticket, be involved with that. You're going to really, really, really enjoy it. So... As we, as we worship together and spend some time together just seeking after the Lord. Uh, this has been a uh, crazy season for us as a country. Uh, I'm not entirely sure the craziness is going to stop anytime soon. But in the midst of all of that, here's why we're here. Philippians chapter 2 says, do all things without grumbling or complaining. You've been wrongly told that if you don't vote, you can't complain. The Bible says even if you did vote, you can't complain. That's not what we do. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works within you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. As we walk through these seasons of life, whether individually, in your family, in our country, whatever it is, these are opportunities for God to work out his salvation in us. To work deeper his life in us. And that's what we're going to focus on today. How do we take difficult seasons, difficult times, and allow God to use them to glorify his name? How do we allow those times to be used to further us in our life and walk with Christ? How do we allow those times to empower us to minister faithfully to those around us? Difficult seasons are a gift from God. There's nothing else that you pick up today. I want you to get this. Difficult seasons in your life are a gift from God. Let's use them. To glorify him, allow him to work deeply and powerfully in us. Don't be afraid of them, don't run from them. 
They're good things. So I want to encourage you just to bow your head just for a moment. I want to pray for us. So this week I was listening to an interview with a doctor. And he was talking about pain relief. Pain management. And he said, you know, the truth is most of the medications we give people for pain don't do anything with the pain. They don't solve any real problems. All they do is mess with your brain so that you don't notice the pain anymore. And that's oftentimes what we're doing in, in, in our lives. We're, we're doing things and adding things and chasing after things so that we just don't notice the difficult season. We don't notice the difficult thing. We're just trying to find unique ways to mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically medicate our way through it instead of allowing God to accomplish his good work in us in it. So, Lord, I pray today that you, by your grace, would strip away all the things that we are allowing to numb us from what you're wanting us to walk through by faith. I ask you, Lord, today that you would empower us to see, God, how good you are in the midst of anything and everything. I pray, God, today that we would be encouraged and emboldened in our walk with you. I pray today we walk out of here different because we are experiencing deep and profound faith in you, Jesus. Though the situation may not alter, our faith in you deepens so we can walk out of here with joy. Do this in us for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing of the glories of heaven, Christ is able. Amen. Christ is on the throne. We have a reason to sing. We have a reason to celebrate. His name is Jesus. Let's sing together. There is a truth older than the ages. There is a promise of things yet to come. There is one born for our salvation, Jesus. There is a light. There is a light that overwhelms the darkness. There is a king that forever reigns. There is freedom from the chains that bind us. Jesus, Jesus, sing it out. Who walks on the waters, who speaks to See who stands in the fire beside me. He roars like a lion. He bled as a lamb. He carries my healing in his head. Jesus. There is a name I call a time. There is a voice that calms the storm that rages, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, he walks on. 
today, church. Celebrate that truth. Yes.
Yes, yes, we give you praise. Let us not sing for man. Let us not sing applauses for a song. Let us, let's, let us applause the greatness of heaven. And God, because you have overcome the grave, we, if we belong to you, have overcome the grave, have overcome death and hell and separation and sin in our life, that you have actually loosened the chains, Lord. So God, I pray, I pray that as we stand here today, as we sing, as we celebrate, Lord, that your spirit would empower us to worship you in spirit and in truth, and that your name and your gospel will be proclaimed. Change these lives. Turn us back to you, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Destined to die, poured out for all mankind. God's only Son, God's only Son, perfect and spotless one. He never sinned, but suffered as if he did.
and amazing that he is and listen here's the great news right so first peter chapter four is where we're going to be and and it's so fitting and amazing and glorious that god in his providence has us where we are doing what we're doing studying what he has us studying because so first peter is written to a group of christians in rome the roman empire spread out throughout the roman empire uh, Rome is the world's military leader, economically, militarily, uh, scientifically, politically. They are the superpower. However, at the same time, they experience immense eternal... Right? There's division, there's schism, there's infighting, there's political intrigue. There are riots in the streets. Rome literally is going to burn not much longer after this letter is written. 
And in God's providence, he has us walking through 1 Peter during this time in our lives and in our nation. So we've got, we've got two options in front of us. You ready? Option A, you barricade yourself in your house, binge watch Fox News, and stress eat your kids' Halloween candy. That's option A. Option B. We walk through all of life with a supernatural faith and confidence in the Lord that makes everyone else that doesn't know Jesus look at us and scratch their heads and wonder something's wrong with us. That is the whole point of 1 Peter. That is the whole point. So that when we live in the way that we live, the world looks and asks why, and we're able to give a reason. First Peter chapter 3.15, we saw it last week, and his name is Jesus. So what we're going to jump into today is we're going to see times of pain and difficulty in our lives. In whatever form or fashion that might take, these can be wonderful gifts from God. Wonderful, amazing, glorious gifts from God. And you're thinking, how is that possible? Well, God's Word is going to show us how. Difficult times, painful times, the word it's going to use here in 1 Peter 4 is times of suffering. Whether it's from our own hands, sins that we committed and we've got to suffer as a result, from the sins of others, from just living in a fallen world, whatever the case might be. We get to walk through these times and situations, seeing them as gifts from God and God using them. Here's what I want you to understand. God is going to use difficult times in your life to do things in you and through you that he could not have done otherwise. They're gifts. These are opportunities, all right? These are chances for God to propel you forward in faith and propel, propel you out in ministry, all right? But we got to see it as that and trust the Lord as that for that and walk in that, all right? So 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to Hinge everything on three big ideas, all right? Big idea number one, God purifies us through difficult times. God uses times of difficulty to purify, to, to, to bring, to rid us of sin and deepen us in our walk with him. All right, so 1 Peter chapter 4, let's pick it up in verse 1, all right? God purifies us through difficult times. Look at the first couple of verses there. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of your time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. All right, let's just stop here and just unpack this just for a moment. Jesus suffered in the flesh, right? On earth, Jesus suffered and died. The idea is, since Jesus died in his flesh, we too die in our flesh. We die from our flesh. We die to our flesh. God is desiring to root flesh, sin out of us. He wants us to make us, he wants to make us more holy. Your problem is not that you are so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good. The problem is you're so earthly minded, you're of no heavenly good. And God's desire is to root that earthliness out of you. And he does that many times through suffering. Look again what he says here in verse 1. 
Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. That, that, that word arm yourself, it's a military term, right? The idea is this, there's a battle, grab your weapon, let's go fight. Arm yourselves with what? The same way of thinking. Our weapon to root out sin in our lives is not something physical. It's not something in our own strength. The weapon we're called to arm ourselves with is the mind of Christ. How did Jesus handle suffering? You see him in the Garden of Gethsemane before he is arrested and crucified. What's he doing? He's falling on his face Crying out to the Father, not my will but yours be done. He is submitting himself to God in absolutely every way imaginable. And it says there again in verse 1, Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. There is something about walking through pain and difficulty in life that roots sin out of you. There are sins in your life, there are fleshly tendencies in your life, there's earthliness in your life that can only be seen when you walk through difficult times. I did not know how quick-tempered I was until I had kids, right? I thought I was a pretty even-killed kind of guy, right? Nothing much gets me upset, I'm good to go. Then I had children, right? And, and when my kids are behaving and acting awesome, I'm still like, no, man, I don't have any problem with that at all. I am Mr. Cool. I'm at peace. Let one of them hellions act like a demon. Right? Out of nowhere, just like this, it just flips out like, what? I thought, why is that in there? I thought that was gone. I didn't know how selfish I was until I got married. I didn't think I was selfish. I didn't think I was concerned with just me. No, I, I, I care deeply for everyone. And then I get married. I'm like, whoa, I really like me a lot. You walk through times of difficulty. You walk through hardships. You walk through things that rub up against you. And God uses that to show you things in your heart that you didn't realize were there. So he says, as you walk through this suffering, you cease from sin. Verse 2, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. We're no longer living for the things of this earth. Now we're living for the things of God. And as we walk through times of trial, we walk through times of difficulty, God uses this. He uses this in us in a great and powerful way to, to again, rub up against us and show us what's there and then root it out of us. And I love what, how it finishes there in verse 2. So as to live for the rest of your time in the flesh, the rest of your life now on earth, you're no longer living it for human passions, but for the will of God. There used to be something that drew you. It doesn't draw you anymore. Now something better draws you. There was a time in my life where I thought baby food was the greatest thing on earth. Right? There was an age in my life where I loved like smashed beans or whatever. I thought that was great when I was a baby. Then I grew up and I discovered chicken nuggets. Right? I don't even know why we ask our kids where they want to eat. They're going to get the same thing everywhere they go. 
But then I discovered something, right? No, oh, I, want, I don't want the string peas anymore. That's gross to me now. Now I want nuggets. And then I became a teenager and I discovered hamburgers. I don't want chicken nuggets. Put a chicken nugget on my hamburger. But I want a burger. Then I grew up. I learned how to grill. And I mastered a steak. Now I want that. Everything was happening was this. At one time, I thought this was the greatest thing and I didn't want anything else. But then I discovered something else that I thought was better. I don't want that anymore. That's gross. Now I want this. Then I discovered something better. No, this is better. I don't want that. That's gross. I want this. And now, no, 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 no. This is the best. This is the how God is describing the passions in your heart. As you walk through times of difficulty, what God uses in this is to show you the things that you used to long for, you don't want those anymore. They brought pain and difficulty and heartache. Now you want God. God uses these times of difficulty to rub up in us, show us what's there, and show us something better. Verse 3. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. I'm glad sinners don't live like that anymore. What he's saying is, look, let's be honest. That might have been what your life used to be. That's not who you are anymore. we got Thanksgiving coming up, and you're going to go eat dinner at your family's. And that one crazy cousin's going to come in. Right? And you're all sitting around the table, and that crazy cousin's going to look at you and go, Hey, man, you remember that time that we went out and we did? You're going to like, dude, my kids are in the room, man. Be quiet. What are you doing? Right? There was a time in your life where that used to be what you desired. And what God's Word is saying is this. Look, that time is over. That cup is full. Get, it, get rid of it. Now you want something better. Verse 4. With respect to this, they, that's the lost people, are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. You ever had someone from your past expect you to keep living that life and they're mad at you when you don't? Who's he's talking about here. Verse 5, but they will give an account to him, that's God, who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. He's describing here, so when he says the gospel preached to those who are dead, he's not talking about those who are physically dead, but those who are spiritually dead. The great thing about the gospel is it takes dead people and makes them alive. We were all dead in our sin. But by faith in Christ, we're made alive to him. God purifies us through difficult times because in the difficult times, God shows us, God shows us what's really in our hearts. God shows us what's actually there, and then he uses these difficult times to say, don't you see, that isn't going to satisfy you anymore. I'm giving you something better. The difficult times are used by God to purify you. Let him do that. You thought you trusted God until an election turned out the way that you didn't think it was going to. Things like that 
allow us to see in our hearts what's really there. It allows us to see in our hearts what's actually going on. Half of America was mad until 10 p.m. election night, and then they got happy. And the other half was happy until 10 p.m., and then they got mad. What's going on there? God's showing you what's actually in your heart when your circumstances don't line up with what you want them to be. Difficult times show you what's really there. Now let God purify your heart. Next, God empowers us for ministry through difficult times. Look at verse 7. So what you're going to see is this. As we go through times of difficulty, times of difficulty are a perfect, amazing time to minister to people. Because in tough times, people need ministry. Perhaps more than any time in our lifetimes, our nation needs ministry. How are we going to do that? How are we going to care for them? How are we going to minister? We start to see what that looks like. Verse 7. God empowers us for ministry through difficult times. One, he empowers us to minister through our prayers. Look at verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. That's Jesus coming back. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So the end of all things is at hand. Jesus is coming back. That's true. We don't know when. We don't know any of those things. Anyone who says that they do, run away. But he is coming back. But It's interesting, he doesn't say here, the end of all things is at hand, so lock yourself in your room. He says, the end of all things is at hand, so do what? Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. We get distracted by the worries of this world, and that stops us and hinders us in our prayer life. You can't focus on prayer if your mind is anxious and worried. You can't focus on prayer if you're angry and upset. You can't watch 14 hours of cable news and then pray. What's going on? You're distracted. You're focused on these other things. So it says here, be self-controlled. That means to be in your right mind, to curb your passions, to not be driven by your emotions. To curb that, be of a sober mind. Self-controlled, sober-minded means calm and collected. Because the end is near, because the world is bad, because this whole thing is going to hell in a handbasket, because that is true, for goodness sake, be self-controlled and sober-minded so you can pray. The church losing their minds isn't helping anything. It isn't fixing anything. Be self-controlled and sober-minded so you can faithfully pray. This is what the world needs. Not an angry church, a self-controlled and sober-minded church who is being faithful and diligent in their prayer closet. That is what our world needs. Difficult times mean the people of God need to ramp up their prayers. But we can't do that if we're not self-controlled and sober-minded. Next, verse 8. We're empowered to minister through our love. Verse 8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, 
since love covers a multitude of sins. So he's quoting from Proverbs 10, 12 here. And, and I love the way that it says, above all. What's all? All is all. Above all. Above everything else. Of first importance. The most important thing. The most important thing. The most important thing. Above all is what? Keep loving one another earnestly. Keep loving. An ongoing, continuing action of love earnestly, faithfully, diligently, honestly, from the heart, not with lip service. Keep above all else, above anything else. Do this. Do this one thing. Above all else, keep loving one another earnestly. And it says why? Since love covers a multitude of sins. As we love one another, you know what that means? The word cover literally means to hide. To hinder from the view of others. Sometimes true love is not calling out somebody on their sin. Sometimes true love is you covering it for them. It doesn't mean you cover it so that they can keep sinning doesn't mean you pretend like sin isn't sin. What it means is, you're not God. What it means is, sometimes the best thing for you to do, when you truly forgive someone, when you forgive someone, you don't have to go tell them you forgive them. All right? We see this all the time in the church. Pat Marie's kind of an interesting story. So, we, in our last ministry, we were doing a big meal like on the grounds picnic we do them here a, a, a bunch um so we're doing those things and so the thing about being in ministry pastor's wife is you got a lot of people that want to talk to you right so it's like everybody's grabbing you here and grabbing you there and oh i brought my neighbor and i brought my aunt and can you meet so and so and so oh yeah so you're running around and i rarely eat at those things i'm usually just talking to everybody and so the same thing with marie she's running around she's talking to everybody but she brought a meal she brought a dish to this thing and so, so she brings the meal, you know, everybody eats whatever, the dish gets put in the kitchen, she's running around frantically, you know, talking to everyone and saying hello, and can I talk to you for a second here, da 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 In the midst of all of that, they're cleaning up in the kitchen, and Marie's dish is sitting there. And as, as we're running around, and, and the dish is sitting there, and sitting there, and sitting there, and so then, evidently, a couple of ladies decided, well, I guess we'll just clean the dish. They clean the dish, but it made them angry. So in the next worship service, they uh, went to Marie and said, can we pray with you at the altar she's like yeah that'd be great let's pray sure so they go to the altar they said we just want you to know that we forgive you and she said thanks for what you left the dish in the sink and we had to wash it and we want you to know that we forgive you she said i appreciate that thank you Were those, and those are sweet, wonderful, wonderful, dear ladies, but were they honestly trying to forgive? No, they wanted to air their grievance in Jesus' name. You going to someone and saying, I want you to know how bad you hurt me, but I want you to know that I forgive you. If you really forgave them, just walk away. Walk away. Having to go to them and explain to them how bad they hurt you and that how awesome you are to forgive them isn't what we're talking about love covers a multitude of sin they sin against you forgive them and keep walking forgive them and keep going above all else keep 
loving one another earnestly. As we walk through times of difficulty, especially, as we walk through times of real division, right, real division in our nation, churches are getting sharply divided. I mean, we're, it, it, especially during this season, ministering to one another by loving them earnestly and covering whatever offenses they may knowingly or unknowingly commit against you is going to be a powerful tool of ministry. I implore you, spend time on your face before God that he would empower you to live that out. Love covers a multitude of sins. You don't have to go talk to everybody about it. You don't have to seek counsel from a thousand different people. You forgive them and cover it. What powerful ministry that is there. So then it keeps on going. Verse 9. More ministry here in times of difficulty. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So hospitality was a big deal in the first century because inns, like hotels, um, were dangerous and sketchy. And so staying in one of those, you're kind of taking your life in your own hands. And so Christians would open up their homes to strangers and, and other Christians passing through to give them a safe place to stay. And so they were saying, show the hospitality without grumbling. If someone comes and knocks on your door... Hey, I'm passing through. I need a place to stay. <laughs> Don't like, fine. Whatever. Show hospitality without grumbling. What he's calling us here to is gracious hospitality. A, a hospitality that we're seeking to truly, genuinely care for one another and serve one another and bless one another. Again, in times of difficulty, even if we're not physically passing through and need a safe place to stay, mentally, emotionally, people are passing through and they need a safe place to mentally and emotionally sit for a minute. Be that for people. Be that for people. Show them hospitality and grace and love and compassion and mercy without grumbling. Just care for them. Just care for them. And then in verse 10, it starts talking about spiritual gifts. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We're ministering in difficult times. It gives us a unique opportunity to minister inside the church. Now yes, we're called to love and care for everyone. But there is a special ministry that the church has to each other. And we're talking about spiritual gifts. That's primarily where that's being talked about here. And Peter divides it up into speaking and serving, right? So it says, if you have a speaking gift, don't share your own thoughts and opinions, just share the word. And if you have a serving gift, don't seek to serve in your own strength, serve in the strength that only God can provide. Serve the body in especially times of difficulty. The church must stand up and serve and bless and care for one another extraordinarily, extraordinarily. Do you use the gifts that God has given you, the spiritual gifts that God has placed inside of you at salvation, do you use that to bless and serve the body of Christ here at Southview? And do you allow others to bless and serve you? Do you place yourself in situations where other people can serve you, teach you, encourage you, bless you, help you? 
especially in times of difficulty, we have to minister to one another inside the body well. Times of difficulty empower us, give us the opportunity to be empowered for phenomenal, life-changing ministry. Let's use that. Let's, let's, let's lean into that and see what the Lord can do. Third, I'll give you this. God increases our joy through difficult times. God increases our joy through difficult times. And I know you may think, how in the world does that happen? Let's pick it up in verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as if something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. So difficult times bring joy because they make us want more of Jesus. Look again at verse 12. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked when fiery trials come upon you. Fiery trials, it's it's the same word used when heat uh, heats up a metal. So that it can purify it and bend it and shape it and morph it. Don't be surprised when fiery trials come on you to test you. Don't be surprised when heat comes in your life as an opportunity for God to bend you and shape you and mold you. He is doing that so that you can want more of Him and long for more of Him. Verse 13, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. We're looking to Jesus and Him coming back to get us and spending all of eternity with Him. And as we experience fiery trials on earth, there are opportunities to prepare us, to put joy in us, to excite us for getting to spend eternity with Him in heaven. Don't be shocked and surprised when the fiery trials come. They're going to come. And they're coming for the purpose of shaping you, molding you more into the image of Jesus, so that you long for more of Jesus and get to experience in a greater, more profound way. Second, look at this one, verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Uh, Think for just a second about verse 14. So just, just take a look at that again. Verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. It's amazing. It's talking about the fact that when you go through times of trial and difficulty and suffering, times of, of, of heat, times of discomfort in this world, these are opportunities for the grace of God, the, the presence of God to rest on you in profound ways. That doesn't mean you experience more of God when you suffer. I think it means that you sense more of God when you suffer. Have you ever been in a room and it felt like no one knew that you were there or cared that you were there? It doesn't change the fact that you were there. You were physically in the room. You were there. But on the flip side, you know what it's like to walk into a room and the second you walk into a room, everyone turns around and sees you walk in. They go, hey, he's here. She's here. Right? You're, you were in the room regardless. But on one time, you, you were almost 
forgotten about, but on the other time, your presence was sensed and rejoiced. And that's the way it's describing here. When you walk through times of difficulty and trial, this is an opportunity for you to sense the presence of God on your life in ways that you may not otherwise. Have you ever experienced this? I know I have. When you walk through a tough time, and you can literally just feel God walking with you, you can literally just feel Him in the room, not that he was not there previously, but something about going through the difficult time allows you to sense and experience him in a way that you did not previously. And this brings immense joy. Literally, I sense him. I feel him. I experience him. He is resting on me right now. You get to walk in him in a way that, that, that maybe you didn't previously. So as we walk through times of difficulty, these are gifts from God. Gifts from God. To be able to allow purification in a way that we may not have experienced otherwise. Ministry in a way that we may not have been able to walk in otherwise. Joy in a way that we may not have experienced otherwise. If you're walking through a time of trial today, I want to encourage you. This can be a gift from God. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Let it be used to accomplish in you what God wants to accomplish in a way that may only be able to be accomplished through this. Don't waste it. And as you look at it all kind of coming together full circle, pick it up in verse 17. Verse 17 says, For it is time for judgment to begin the household of God. So let's stop there for a second. Let's unpack that one for a minute. So in the Old Testament, when it talked about the temple, uh, the, the house of God, it was talking about the temple. In the New Testament, when, when the Bible speaks of the house of God, he's talking about you. And I don't mean like Southview Baptist. I mean like you and me individually. And he says here that judgment begins with us. So what does that, that mean? So the word judgment here, so it, it, it's coming from the Old Testament, Ezekiel 9 and, and uh, Malachi chapter 3. It's kind of hinging off of those. And it's not judgment as in punishment. It's judgment, again, as in purification. God is bringing heat and pressure on, on us for the purpose of purifying us. And if it, judgment begins at the household of God... Verse 17, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If God has to purify us, how much more is it going to have to purify them? Verse 18, and if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? The word scarcely doesn't mean um, barely. It's not like you're going to get to heaven, but just like that. The word scarcely means difficult. The point is this. Salvation is not meant to be. I know we were told, pray this prayer and God will work all things out in your life. I'm sorry they lied to you. I apologize. Pray this prayer. You just do this. And all the bad stuff goes away. If you've been a Christian for longer than 13 seconds, you've learned by now that's actually not entirely true. 
The difficulty, the pain, the hardship, they still come. And the point is this, God is saying, I know they come. And I am so good and so amazing and so powerful that I'm going to take the difficult things and I'm going to use them to bless you. I'm going to use them to purify you in a way you never could have been purified before. I'm going to use them to allow you to minister in ways that you never could have ministered before. I'm going to use them to build joy in you in ways that you never could have experienced previously. I'm going to do this in you. This is what God is saying. Yes, salvation isn't quick and easy. Jesus said, the way is narrow. The gate is small, the way is narrow, it is hard that leads to eternal life. But those who walk through it find eternal joy. There is treasure that awaits you, brothers and sisters. There's treasure that awaits you. And his name is Jesus. Don't let the difficulties throw you off. Don't let the difficulties get you off the path. Don't let the difficulties cause you to stumble. Trust him. He's doing the good So as our band comes up, I want to finish by looking at verse 19. Look at verse 19. So the Apostle Peter ties it all up in a bow here in verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The fact that difficult times are going to come is not up for debate. It's not something that we're going to sit here and, and, and try to convince you of. That's just going to happen. But what God's word is telling us here, brothers and sisters, is we get to walk through it in a different kind of way. And as we walk through this time of difficulty and pain, whatever that might look like in your life, whatever difficulty or hardship you might experience in your life, as you go through that, do it in a way that you're entrusting your soul to your faithful creator. You're giving yourself to God and you're saying, I trust you. Do in me whatever you want with this. Work in me whatever you want through this. Use me to minister to others in any way you want with this. I give you my everything. I entrust. I give all to you. We're going to end our time here this morning singing a song called Be Thou My Vision. It's an old Celtic hymn. And so as a result, some of the language can feel a little old and uh, confusing. But we sing it because it's a phenomenal song with a phenomenal message, and we want you to hear it. The point of the song is that as you walk through times of trial and difficulty and pain and heartache, as you walk through that in whatever form that might look like in your life, we walk through it in saying, Jesus, my heart, my eyes, I'm just focused on you. I want you above everything else. You're my vision. You're the one I'm walking towards. You're the one through whom I see everything else. You're the light that lights up my path. 
The most important thought that I have, the most important feeling of my heart, the most important intention of my steps is just you. I just want you. The fact that you're my dad and I'm your child is the most precious thought in my life. And I cling to that as I go through anything else. Be thou my vision. Let me see you in everything. So I want to encourage you this morning as we sing. Do you see God in everything? Just like verse 19 ends, as you walk through times of suffering and difficulty, do you entrust your soul to your faithful creator? Today, I want to encourage you, sing, come down forward, spend some time in prayer, seek him in prayer, grab someone else and let him pray with you. Let's call out to the Lord together and say, God, do in me everything you want to do for your glory. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, for your life in us. We thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in us. We thank you, Jesus, that you do it all for your purpose and your glory. And I ask you, God, that that's exactly what you'll accomplish in us. Do this in us, God. Let us see you in the midst of all things and trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. invite you to stand with us and sing or you can come down here and pray be thou my vision O Lord of my heart not be all else to me save that thou art thou my best thought by day simply have your way in our lives that we would reflect the glories of Christ and all God's children said.
Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Just like the devil's chain, it goes on.